Good morning. Take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. If you're using a Pew Bible this morning, you can find that on page 976. As I recall, we have a quiz coming up, so this is your last chance to cram. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we gather this together to honor and glorify you. Lord, for you have called us into your family. Lord, and given us an inheritance. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of your glory. And so we lift our voices in praise to you. We pray for our brother, Pastor Toby, as he comes. We ask that your spirit would be actively at work this morning in the preaching of the word, in the hearing of the word, and in the application of the word. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I have been stopped more than once to be told that certain of us are making progress in our memorization, but we are not as far along as verse 6 yet. All I hear is we're making progress in memorization, verses we would not have memorized. However, I would not be a good teacher who promises to test you if I did not test you. So here's what we're going to do. I've put, I've, uh, in developing the PowerPoint for this week, we're going to read verses 3 to 6 together from the screens, all right? 
Uh, so go ahead and go for, let's go ahead and go forward to that. So we're going to read it together. And then the second time, just like I said, you blank out certain words in order to, I've done that for you. So we're going to do that as well. All right. So let's read together. Here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You did very well. So let's try again, this time with not all of the words. All right, here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That was pretty good. All right? So here's the next one. Just go to the next. There you go. That's what you get. I'm just... <laughs> uh, next week. All right? You did well, though. I could tell, you know... You know those, uh, the kids in class who are like waiting for everybody else to start the word that is the answer? You are out there. I could hear you. I could hear you. But uh, I'm thankful for any effort that we make together in, in memorizing uh, the Bible. And these 12 verses are worthy of your time and attention and any rough sledding that it may be for you to memorize uh, whatever your capacity or thoughts about memorization, it is worth your time and energy. Uh, for me personally, I, I, I'm uh, sometimes very, I'm very musically oriented, so I'll find rhythm in words, and, and that helps me get through things. Uh, but uh, that blanking out words, you did well. You did well. One of the things that I love about our congregation is that God in His grace has given us a heart to defend the cause of the orphan. I am thankful for it. The Bible calls himself, as we read in Psalm 68, a father to the fatherless, that God settles the lonely, the solitary, in a home. And it is exciting for me to see us as a congregation grow in echoing the heart of God. I mentioned this in January's members meeting, but over the last eight and a half years, we have uh, and I'm going to correct what I said there. We've actually seen nine children brought into families that belong to our congregation. The one that I left out uh, lives in South Africa, Nobi. Uh, he has come in in the last eight and a half years as well. Uh, so from South Africa, from China, from Korea, 
from Haiti, from here in Indianapolis. And actually there are a few more children that, Lord willing, will be part of one of uh, the families in our congregation uh, sometime in the near future. Um, and so we praise the Lord for that. And even for those of us who are not in a place where we can adopt or where we can foster, it has been really exciting and heartwarming and encouraging to see so many of you mobilize to support and love and provide for and hold babies for and babysit for and clean homes for and make meals for and even provide money for those within the congregation uh, who have been given to the task of uh, adopting and fostering. And that it is a beautiful and glorious sight to see. And may God ever increase our longing to defend the cause of the orphan, to defend the cause of the widow, to help those who can simply cannot help themselves. We want to be pro-life, not in the sense that we just want babies to be born. That is the great caricature of the pro-life uh, position in our culture right now, is that if you're pro-life, you just want babies to be born and you don't care anything about what happens to them afterward. Well, may it never be said of us, brothers and sisters, to be pro-life is not simply to make sure a child is born, but to make sure that he or she lives, lives within a family, lives, Lord willing, to hear and receive the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for that because adoption, making a child part of the family who was once not part of the family, embracing a child who is certainly genetically separated, but maybe ethnically separated, culturally separated, and bringing that child into the family is a portrait of the gospel. It has the brush strokes of what God has done in Jesus all over it. And if you're a Christian this morning, I want you to think about what we just read in verses 5 and 6, what we just quoted with some blanks in it, that in love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. There is no greater separation than the separation between mankind and God. For He is holy and pure and righteous and lovely and glorious, and we are wretches. We just sang it ourselves, didn't we? And yet in love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. The fact that God has done that for you, brought you into His family, that the Creator of the universe now wants you to cry to Him, Abba, Father. How do you respond to that? What thoughts come to mind? I'll come back to that. I would only say now that there is a biblical way to respond to that. There is a right response. And sadly, afoot, even in the Christian culture today, there is a wrong response to that. Now, I'm, we're in these verses, Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14. We have been, this is our third week, 
We will be for a few more weeks. And as I've crafted this series of messages, I've actually thought of it as one long sermon broken up over six weeks. My hope is that when we go back in our regular Bible reading to Ephesians 1 and we read these things again, that we will have a deeper sense of the, the, the density of what Paul is saying, the glory of what Paul is saying, the magnificence of what God is, of what God is saying through the Apostle Paul about what God has done for us in Christ. And so the first week, we thought about the fact that we bless God because He first blessed us. Last week, we bless God because He chose us. And this week, looking at verses 5 and 6, we bless God because He has adopted us. Do you sense a pattern? It all starts with we bless God. Everything, everything in this text flows out of blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's just going to go on to tell us why Paul is so jazzed about this God, about the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, why he praises Him, why he magnifies Him, why he lifts Him up. And so, uh, we should as well. So I want us to think about the adoption that is ours as Christians through Jesus Christ. First, thinking about God's initiative in adoption. Now, that's true in the physical realm, isn't it? The parents take the initiative in adoption. But I want us to think about what these verses say. It says, In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. The first thing I would let you know is that God's initiative is His own. It was not forced upon Him. He is not obliged by anything to move out. Nothing outside of God caused God to adopt. This word, predestined, is a synonym for the word we looked at last week. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. It's the same idea, but it's a different word. It has the idea of uh, marking off boundaries beforehand. So, uh, uh, Carrie and Lyle, you guys, you know, they marked out your property, right? They had to do a survey and mark out the corners if they're ever going to build this thing, right? If they're ever going to finish, they got to mark it off, and you have to have the boundaries. When we got a fence in our backyard, the first thing we had to do was have the boundaries marked off. And that is essentially what this word means, that before, beforehand, God marked off in love us. So instead of thinking stakes in the ground, instead of thinking fences around the property, thinks of arms around a family. Because that's the picture here. The picture is that in love He predestined us for adoption as sons, as if God stretched out His arms, wrapping them around all those He would adopt before we were ever born, determining that we would be His, we would be in His family, we, we, would, we would be part of His household. God's initiative is His own, but God's initiative is also gracious. Susan and I, several years ago, <laughs> got... Um, we got licensed with the state to uh, not foster to adopt. We have too many children for the state to say we should put any more into our home through foster care. 
Now, there's something good about that because uh, too many people abuse the foster care system and turn their homes into like, you know, they just, they just have children to make a living, right? So it, it's a good thing. But uh, having five children already in the home, we couldn't do that. So we got what is called SNAP approved, Special Needs Adoption Program. And special needs doesn't always, doesn't always mean physical or mental disabilities. Uh, it could just mean that uh, there's a sibling group. More than one child available is actually a special need. Over the age of two is a special need in our state. And lumped in with that would be things like mental and physical disabilities. So we got approved, and I remember we got information about an event. I can't remember who we got it from, but it was essentially a picnic. And you go to this picnic, and there are kids there, kids who are available for adoption. And it's like a meet and greet with these children. Can you imagine being in those children's position? Their social worker has done everything they can to craft their biography in such a way that you will remain interested, right? maximizing the great things about these children and trying to carefully, very carefully word the things that are hard. And they get all dressed up and they go to this picnic and they, all they're thinking is, will they pick me? Am I good enough? I mean, that's just heartbreaking, isn't it? And some of these kids feel a great sense of desperation because they are 15, 16, 17. They are not just over the age of two. They are, in the general sense of the word, in the eyes of the state, they're basically unadopted. I mean, they're just going to graduate right out of the foster care system. If you have a heart for older children, don't wait. But these children just think, can I, well, will I look nice enough? Will I interact? Will my manners be good enough? Will I, will I do enough so that they will want to have another conversation? Dear friends, some people think it's the same way with God. That somehow we're the ones who have to craft our profile so that we're appealing to Him. So we pile up the great activities, our well-intentioned lives. We, we highlight what we believe is the great stuff and we, we completely ignore what is the bad stuff, the sin. And so we think that if we can just outweigh the bad with enough good, maybe I'm, I'm dressed right, God picked me. Would you, would you pick me? I think I might be good enough. But dear friends, if that were the case, if eternity was a meet and greet with the Creator by which you must gain His favor, none of us would be His children. We would all walk away from the picnic with nowhere to go. That's why in love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace. This removes all boasting. 
It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. His initiative is his own. It is gracious. And it is necessary. (laughs) If God doesn't take initiative, nothing happens. From the beginning, God created mankind to be the pinnacle of His creation, to know Him as Father, to bear His image, to represent Him among all of creation with holiness, in righteousness. And yet we fail over and over and over and over again so that at at the end, you know, uh, Israel is supposed to be the collective family of God and Isaiah writes... Out of God's mouth, God, Isaiah quotes God in Isaiah 1, verses 2 to 4. I'll paraphrase. I have raised up these children, and they have done nothing but rebel against me. And dear friends, we join in the rebellion. Every single one of us. Let your eyes go to chapter 2. Verse 1, you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, what? Children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We are in, born into a family that would condemn us. Born into a family where condemnation is the only option. But God, this is the next verse, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You've been saved from the wrath family. Isn't that good news? That is good news. We were failures, wretches, and yet God moved toward us, extended his arms toward us. Why? Well, the text tells us. Not just God's initiative, but we see God's motive for adoption. First two words, just before verse 5 begins, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons. The love of God Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies a parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. It is in love that He has moved toward us. He has set His love on us. And here's the thing. God doesn't love us because we're lovely. God loves us because He is love. God does not love us because of our character. God loves us because of 
his character. And therein lies the beauty. So that he looks at Israel in Deuteronomy 7 and says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. This was a common thing, by the way, that uh, if you were powerful, if you were great in the ancient world, the gods were on your side. God's saying, it's not because you're big and powerful that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. He's saying, There's no, you've given me no reason to set my love on you. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It, so, God, what are you saying? Why, why did you set your love on us? Because I did. I mean, that's what he's saying. I didn't set my love on you because of anything in you. I set my love on you because I set my love on you. Do you know how great that is? Do you know how much comfort there is in that? Do you know how much comfort there is in knowing that God decided to set his love on us even though we were unlovable? Because that is true, because God's love for us is not based on our character but on his character, we need not fear it be removed from us. So long as God remains unchanging... His love will remain on us. This is the problem in marriage, isn't it? The fickleness. The fickleness of, well, I love you now. I may not love you tomorrow. This is why people talk about, you know, one of these term contracts, you know, and there's people talking about, you know, well, let's get married for two years. We'll see if we go on from there. Do you know why that is? Because human love is fickle. The wonderful thing about the love of God, the wonderful thing about the love of God is that it is based on His character and because it is and because His character is unchanging, He simply will not remove it from you if you are His. And actually because... God has given me this infinite love, this gracious love, this transforming love, this love-enabling love, then even when I am fickle toward my spouse and my spouse is fickle toward me, I continue on in it. That's why, because the love of God compels me. Let us not get into our minds that what we desperately need in our lives will come from another human being. What we most need in life will come from another person. I just guaranteed our Discovering Church membership class that they are going to be disappointed. You join any church, human beings at some point will disappoint you. Expectations will not be met. You will sin against someone else. They will sin against you. The question is not whether sin will exist. The question is what is driving us in our relationships with one another. If it is that I must have you do certain things for me, it will be fickle and it will fail. 
If it is that I have everything I need in Christ because God has set his love on me, and only because he's set his love on me, not because of me, that's the only empowering that I have to be able to love anyone as I should. His love. That's why the refrain of the psalmist often comes back, doesn't it? It's such a good thing. You just have to repeat it because you just got to say it over and over and over and over again. His steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. He's motivated by love. He's also motivated by pleasure. Look at the, verse, look at the end of verse 5. According to the purpose of His will... Now, it is true that love involves decisions of the will, but it is not true that love is emotionless, that there should be no affection if it's really love. But affection is not the root of human love, for sure. But we have this word that, boy, it just doesn't sound as great as it actually is, according to the purpose of His will. It actually means according to his good pleasure. That in expressing love, in wrapping us in his arms, in adopting us, God is not just making a decision. Okay? I will love them. I will do what is best for them. I will save them. God is engaged in loving us. It pleases him. To love us. You can make decisions two different ways, can't you? You know, an extra $2,000 is dropped in your lap this week. This is not a prophetic word or anything. I'm just <laughs> posing a potential situation. $2,000 is dropped in your lap. You've got to make a decision, right? Well, I'm going to decide with my $2,000 to pay my bills. It's a decision, right? I'm going to decide with my $2,000 to go to the beach. Both are decisions. One gives more pleasure than the other one does. The Bible doesn't say that God just simply decided. It says according to the good pleasure of His will. It is according to His will. It is according to His purposes. It is according to His plan. It is according to His counsel. But it is according to His counsel and purpose and plan that gives Him pleasure. So that He says of His people in Zephaniah, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And that's not because we're so great. He exults over us because of what He's done in us. Not because somehow we finally cleaned up our act and we prettied up for the first date with God and now He's going to sing about it. That's not it at all. God is the one who is in our midst, which is why He rejoices over us. That's what drives God, His love, His 
pleasure. This is not some cold, calculated decision on the part of our God to adopt. Thirdly, the God's means of adoption. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. How is it that God has adopted us? How is it that a holy God could take in unholy, unruly children? As we are as children of wrath, He cannot, He can't even look on us. But through Jesus Christ. See, this is a definite, hardcore distinction between any of us choosing to adopt a child and God. Okay? I, when we, we have adopted three times. When we adopted, I couldn't change the nature of any of those children. <laughs> I could put a new name on them. They would learn, they learn what it is to be part of our family. I, I can't change their DNA, though. When God comes to us through Jesus Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. He truly makes us his children. That's why... We're called in, say, Ephesians 5.1, as beloved children to be imitators of God. Be imitators of God as beloved children. That's what beloved children do. They imitate their father. We follow after the one who has saved us. Jesus is the means of our adoption. Jesus is the one true Son of God. He is the true Son. At His baptism... God says in Mark chapter 1, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. At the transfiguration, the voice comes from the heavens. And in Matthew we read, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Jesus is the one human being in all of human history where God says, I am well pleased, beginning to end, no exceptions. Jesus is the faithful Son who never disobeyed the Father. Jesus is the loyal Son who would only do what the Father had instructed Him to do. Jesus is the submissive Son who went to His Father and said, Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is the Son who is beloved with whom the Father is well pleased. And it was through the faithful Son that we are adopted as sons. You see, Jesus is condemned by the Father. He is condemned as if He were a child of wrath, receiving the condemnation that we deserve so that we could receive forgiveness and reconciliation with God. He, received, he was forsaken by the Father so that we who deserve to be forsaken would be embraced. He was crushed by the Father so that we who deserve to be crushed would be rescued. He was killed by the Father so that we who deserve death receive eternal life. And through faith in this Jesus, we are brought into the family. By His grace, through faith, we come into the family.
God gives us a home. God makes us his own. Dear friend, I, I don't know that I could say it any clearer than that. Jesus has taken all of the punishment that our sin deserves so that all who trust in him will be forgiven and counted righteous and be sons of the Most High. Brought in, adopted. Many of us instinctively want a place to belong, don't we? It's been said that our hearts are restless until we find our rest in God. I have a sneaking suspicion that this is part of what drives the, uh, the loud and sometimes shrill tones of those who live different kinds of lifestyles, that we must be accepted, you must see us as normal, you must, we must, we must, we must. Because in the human heart there is a desire to be brought in, to be loved. And we will look anywhere and everywhere to find it. But there is only one place where the heart is satisfied. There is only one place where we're truly coming home. And that's through faith in Jesus. If you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus, I would invite you to turn from your sin and trust in Him. He is the great elder brother who has laid down his life for all who would trust in him. God's means of adoption is Jesus. Lastly, God's blessing in adoption. The Bible says, In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. He predestined us for adoption as sons. Now, this is not intended to be a term of gender, okay? Uh, we know that because in a place like 2 Corinthians 6, Paul will say, vocalizing for God, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So this is not a gender matter. In that culture, being a son was a position of privilege. Sons had special rights. Sons had privileges. Sons got the inheritance. That's why we don't have a parable from Jesus about the prodigal daughter. It's not because daughters never went astray. It's because in that culture, the structure of inheritance with sons made sense. And so Paul is not trying to say something else. In fact, this is why uh, he makes it even more clear in Galatians 4. Paul says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers, speaking of the guardian of the law, until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Why is that so important, Paul? 
Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. It is a position of privilege. It is a, posi- a position that we're brought into that we had no right to. A position that we are given. Dear friends, um, there is no special language there. Did you notice that? In Galatians 4, we've been given adoption as sons. In Ephesians 1, he predestined us for adoption as sons. It does not say he predestined us to be adopted sons. There's no special, there's no setting apart. There's no like, where there's like real children and then there's the adopted people. Okay? So I know that this is new because in our culture, uh, language just gets thrown around and I, I don't assume that people are actually trying to be as technical as I would be regarding adoption. But if I could educate us all for a second and relay to you something that, that Russ Moore so wonderfully said in his book, Adopted for Life, Adopted is a past tense verb, not an adjective. Refrain from speaking of anyone's children as these are their children and these are their adopted children. Let me read to you from a court document that, uh, was, uh, uh, that, that, that we just went through this finalization process. I want to read to you from the court document, okay? The child shall, for all intents and purposes, be considered the natural child and heir of the petitioners, Toby Johnson and Susan Johnson, and shall be entitled to the same rights and privileges to which the child would have been entitled if the child had been the biological heirs of the petitioners. That's wonderful language. That's actually gospel language there. I tell you what. And that's true of us. I mean, just as in the eyes of the law, there is no distinction, sorry for those of you who don't know my family, between Emily and Anna. There is no distinction. There is no distinction in my mind. There is no distinction in Susan's mind. There is no distinction in the law. And there should be no distinction in our patterns of behavior. She has the same rights and privileges as if she grew in Susan's womb and had been born to us. The same rights and privileges as Emily. The love that we had for Emily before Anna was ever born, we have now given to Anna. That's the gospel, dear friend. In the eyes of God, what is true of Jesus in relationship to God is true of us. We are perfectly righteous in the eyes of God because He is perfectly righteous. In John 17, 26, Jesus says, The love that you had for me is now in them. That's the blessing of adoption. You are not an adopted son. You are not an adopted daughter. We have been adopted as sons with privileges. Yes, we're sons and daughters. Sons. That's how we should think about it. So now, having thought through our adoption, about God's initiative in our adoption, about God's motive, that His initiative is His, 
It's gracious and it's necessary. His motive in adoption being love and his good pleasure. God's means of adopting us through his son, Jesus Christ. And God's blessing of adoption being bestowed upon us to be sons, to have privileges, to have access. How do you respond to that? I come back to the question that we had at the beginning because in our nation today, dear friends, we highly esteem self-esteem. Right? I don't have to sell you on that, right? I don't have to give you examples. We believe that everybody should feel good about themselves. We believe that everybody should feel valued in themselves. In fact, we will talk about the number of problems that are associated with low self-esteem, right? Is it, I mean, you've read articles, you've watched the news. A propensity to quit things, low self-esteem. Giving in to peer pressure, low self-esteem. Eating disorders, low self-esteem. Suspicion of what others might think of you, low self-esteem. Cutting oneself, low self-esteem and many other things right and the answer that our culture has given is to feel better about yourself and the church has decided to pick that up and say you know what we can we can do you one better we'll give you a better way to feel better about yourself here's what I want you to walk around and say to yourself when you're not feeling good about yourself I am a child of God. I am a son of the King. I am a daughter of the King. Isn't that what the church has done? You listen to the ra- listen to the radio. Really listen. And it's the shaping of things that are true. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a child of God, right? You are. That's very true. The question is, is that why the Bible tells us that? Not is it true. It is true. Why does the Bible say it? Here's what John says. 1 John 3, 1. See what manner of love is this, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Why is it that God point that that John points to our being the children of God? It is not dear, dear friends, it is not so that we will pound our chest and feel better about ourselves and try to lift ourselves up and feel good. It is so that we will see what manner of love is this. That's why It is to make much of God and not to make much of me. Are there privileges and responsibilities that come along with being the child of God? You better believe it. I have the Spirit in me, the Spirit of adoption by which I cry out, Abba, Father. Right? I have the promise that one day my adoption will be complete. My adoption will be complete. And I will no longer be reaching back to the orphanage of sin. But I will have unbroken fellowship with the Father. 
It is true that I have responsibilities, say, to be an imitator of God as beloved children. That's why actually John, later in that same chapter, points to the fact that your behavior will show which family you belong to. But it is never to, to, magnify, to magnify God, to help me understand my access to this amazing God, which is not any result of my doing, and to know how I ought to live. That is why the Bible tells me I'm a child of God. Not so that I can pound my chest and walk around and feel better about myself. It's so I'll feel better about God. That's why this whole thing starts, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why, Paul? Because in love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. What do you want us to do with that adoption, Paul? Look to the Father. That is completely countercultural. It is even counter to much of what is Christian culture, and some of you are wrestling with whether that's actually true or not. I would encourage you to go to these places in the Bible, look at them yourselves. Why is it that God tells us that we are His people? Comfort us in trials? Why? Yes, but why? Not because I'm great, but because there's hope at the end. So that I will live as one who belongs to God. So that I will take advantage of the access that I have to God to go to His throne of grace that I may receive mercy and help in my time of need. Wrestle with this, brothers and sisters. You're... You're smart and godly people. Wrestle with it. If you are in Christ, you are His child. And because we are His child, we bless Him. We bless God because He has adopted us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we bow before you thankful that in love you predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to wrap our minds around not only the truth of these, this statement, but why it is that we should comprehend it, that you teach us about the salvation you have given us so that we will live faithfully in response to it, so that we will praise you properly, so that we will live properly, so we will love others properly, so we will uh, conduct ourselves in this world to your glory. Help us, Lord, to glory in the adoption that you have given us by blessing you, lifting you up, We pray, Father, for those who are not yet your children. I ask that you would open their eyes 
And that when, they, when their eyes are open, they will see that your arms are open. And they will come running to you through faith in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.